Hey friends, happy Magical Monday. I'm Courtney. And I'm TJ. And welcome to another episode of the Wish Upon a Sparks podcast. Ooh, we're so glad that you are here. Courtney, what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about Fantasia. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this. You were going to be excited. Fantasia, yay. Yeah, Courtney loves Fantasia. It's her new favorite movie. No, I fell asleep. She did. <laughs> I like Fantasia. I get why it would bore some people, though. Um, I am excited to talk about it because it's really cool historically in, like, Disney's franchise um, and all that kind of good stuff. So we're going to go ahead and dive right in. We're going to give you some background to it. If you haven't seen Fantasia, it is a little bit different than a lot of other Disney movies that you've probably seen. So we want to give you a little bit of background. So instead of doing our normal plot summary, we're going to just dive into kind of an explanation of what Fantasia is. And then we're going to kind of go line by line and explain it from there. Um, So bear with us. It might be a little bit different than our normal segments, but we'll get you there. So I'm going to start right and then you're going to jump in in between yeah all right cool so fantasia is a 1940 american animated musical anthology film it's produced and released by obviously walt disney productions with a story direction by joe grant and dick humor and production supervision by walt disney and ben sharpstein the third disney animated feature film it consists of eight animated segments set to pieces of classical music conducted by leopold stokowski seven of which are performed by the philadelphia orchestra music critic and composer deems taylor actually is the film's master of ceremonies who introduces each segment in live action. Disney settled on the film's concept in 1938 as a work neared completion on The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Originally an elaborate silly symphony cartoon designed as a comeback role for Mickey Mouse who had declined in popularity. As production costs surpassed what the um, what the short could earn, Disney decided to include it in a feature-length film of multiple segments set to classical pieces with Starkowski and Taylor as collaborators. The soundtrack was recorded using multiple audio channels and re- reproduced with Fantasound, a pioneering sound system developed by Disney and RCA that made Fantasia the first commercial film shown in stereo and a precursor to surround sound. Yes, Fantasia was first released as a theatrical roadshow uh, that was held in 13 cities across the U.S. between 1940 and 1941. The first began at the Broadway Theater in New York um, on November 13th, 1940. While acclaimed by critics, it failed to make a profit owing World War owing to World War II's cutting off distribution to the European market. The, uh, the fact that this came out like during World War II is wild. The film's high production costs and the expense of building fantasy sound equipment and leasing theaters for the roadshow presentations made it really difficult for it to turn a profit. Since 1942, the film has been reissued multiple times by RKO Radio Pictures and Buena Vista Distribution with its original footage and audio being deleted, modified, or restored in each version. When adjusted for inflation, Fantasia is the 23rd highest grossing film of all time in the U.S. Wild. Wild. Um, So, as you kind of have gathered, if you're still with us, I hope you are, um, Fantasia is a very different kind of film. So, basically, it's like animated segments that are set to classical music pieces. Um, The animation is very old school, very dated, and um, it was definitely a cool concept from its time, but um, I don't know. I don't know if you could do it again. No. They did it again in Fantasia 2000, but, like, I don't know if, like, another... I don't think it's... In 2023, I don't think it works. Yeah, I don't know if it works. Um, Maybe. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But, um, so here's what we're going to do. Before we go into, like, our... our, our, our thoughts about it. What we're going to do is we're just going to do a really quick thing around the program, which is each uh, segment of it. Um, 
and then we'll go from there. So Fantasia opens with live action scenes of members of an orchestra gathering against a blue background, tuning their instruments. It's kind of odd, like the way they do it. Um, it's you're, really weird. You're, yeah, I, I agree with Courtney. Like, I actually really like Fantasia, but I forgot how awkward the opening was. I was sitting there like, what is going on? Um, and so they're tuning their instruments in half light, half shadow. Master of Ceremonies, Deems Taylor, enters the stage, also in half light, half shadow, and introduces the program. The first program is Takata and Fueg. I think is what how it's pronounced in D minor by Johann Sebastian Bach, live action shorts of the orchestra illuminated in blue and gold, backed by uh, superimposed shadows fade into abstract patterns, animated line shapes and cloud formations reflect the sound and rhythms of the music. The next one is the Nutcracker Suite by a name I'm not even going to try to pronounce, to be honest. I wouldn't either. Tchaikovsky. Um, sure. Um, <laughs> selections from the night or the 1892 ballet suite underscore scenes depicting the changing of the seasons from summer to autumn to winter. A variety of dances um, are presented with fairies, fish, flowers, mushrooms, and leaves, including dance of, of the sugar plum fairy, Chinese dance, Arabian dance, Russian dance, dance of the flutes, and waltz of the flowers. Yes. The next one is actually the most iconic from the whole film. It's The Sorcerer's Apprentice by uh, Paul Dukas. It's based on Goethe's 1797 poem, Der uh, Zabberherling. I'm not going to pronounce that. It's German. Um, uh, yeah. Anyways, Mickey Mouse, the young apprentice of the sorcerer, uh, Yin Sid, attempts some of his master's magic tricks but does not know how to control them. So basically, this whole scene is the most iconic. Uh, Mickey Mouse puts a spell on this broom to carry these water buckets into the uh, the apprentice shop where they work so that it can he can have the water there and then he falls asleep and the uh the broom never stops bringing the water and the it just keeps bringing water and then he shatters the broom and the, the splinters turn into brooms themselves other brooms and they keep carrying it's wild and then before it floods and then the uh the sorcerer comes back and uh mickey's in trouble yeah it's actually really cute and funny yeah okay the next one is right okay right of spring by igor stravinsky thank you you're welcome um, a visual history of the Earth's beginnings is depicted to be selected sections of the ballet score. The sequence progresses from the planet's formation to the first living creature, followed by the reign and extinction of the dinosaurs. Uh, there is intermission. Um, meet the soundtrack. The orchestra musicians depart, or the orchestra musicians depart, and the Fantasia title card is revealed. Um, after the intermission, there is a brief jam session of jazz music led by a clarinetist as the orchestra members return. Uh, then a humorously stylized demonstration of how sound is rendered on film is shown. An animated soundtrack character, initially a straight white line, changes into different shapes and colors uh, based on the sounds played. Yes, the next one is the Pastoral Symphony by Beethoven, um, a mythical Greco-Roman world of colorful senators and senatorettes, which are the female senators. I don't know why. They're all senators. I don't know. Um, God. <laughs> cupids, fawns, and other figures from classical mythology is portrayed to, um, portrayed to Beethoven's music. A gathering for a festival to honor... Bacchus, the god of wine, is interrupted by Zeus, who creates a storm and directs Vulcan to forge lightning bolts for him to throw at the attendees. Yes. Very wild. Yes. If you're still with us, hanging there. We got two more. The next one is The Dance of the Hours by um, Almacare Pancelli, I think. A comic ballet in four sections. Madame Oop. 
Upanova and her <laughs> ostriches morning, uh, Hyacinth Hippo and her servants afternoon, and then Ella Fanchine and her uh, bubble-blowing elephant troop evening, and Ben Ali Gator and his troop of alligators night. The finale finds all of the characters dancing together until their uh, palace collapses. Yes, the last one is The Night on Bald Mountain by Modest Mazorski and Ave Maria by Franz Schubert. Um, at midnight, the devil Cernabog awakes and summons evil spirits and relentless, or I'm sorry, restless souls from their graves to Bald Mountain. The spirits dance and fly through the air until driven back by the sound of an ang- Angelus bell. As night fades into dawn, a chorus is heard singing Ave Maria as a line of robed monks is depicted walking with lighted torches through a forest and into the ruins of a cathedral. The end. The end. That's how it ends. Um, And it ends right there. It's pretty abrupt, actually. Um, Okay, cool. Good job, Courtney. We got through it. So that is an overview of what you watch. And the movie's two hours long. So the reason we wanted to explain all this to you is it's not like this is a, a short thing. Each segment is it's pretty detailed and pretty long. Um, so if you take time to watch this movie, like you're you're getting into a full length feature film. It's two or not feature film. I guess yeah, it's two hours long. Um, so normally we would break this up by you know character scene, all these things. This this is going to be it would be such a mess if we tried to do that. So what we're going to do is simplify this a little bit and talk more about um, some some of the aspects of it. So my first thing is is out of all the sections, Courtney, what was your favorite section? I think the one with the ostriches, the hippos, and the elephants and the alligators. Really? Okay, I wasn't expecting that. I thought you would say the Sorcerer's Apprentice. No. Okay. No, that's good. That's good take. That was a really cool section. It was very comical. Yeah. For sure. And I just like animals a lot. Like elephants are my favorite and I don't know. I just thought it was fun. Yeah, I agree with I thought you. it was cute how they were like dressing up the elephant, like almost like the elephant was taking a bath. Or maybe it was a hippo. I think it was a hippo. It was a hippo, but yeah. Same same concept. I don't know. But yeah. It was it was cute. I liked it. I agree. I like that you like that. Um, my favorite was the dinosaur section. The uh, Rite of Spring, the one that talked about like the beginning of Earth mm. and it had dinosaurs in it. Yeah. That was um it was the visual history of the Earth's beginnings. Um, super cool to me. I loved that section. It had the T-Rex in it. It had all the other dinosaurs in it. It was super, super fun. I really, really liked that one a lot. Yeah. That one was good. Yes. Um, sorry, this is a little difficult to talk about. We normally would do favorite scene after favorite. Like, okay, what was your least favorite uh, of them? <laughs> there we go. Probably the first one. Oh, agreed. That one was a little rough. And it just was like... If you're going into a two-hour movie, especially, like, at this time, it's probably, like, or, yeah, like, back in the 1940s, a two-hour movie is probably a little wild, to be honest, right? Yeah, for sure. Most animated and movies back then were, like, an hour and five minutes long. Maybe. So, like, to just set this up with such a boring situation, like... It would is just not doing it justice. You lose interest within the first two minutes, and you're just like, "Why am I even watching this?" I agree. Um, now that you say that, I would say that if you're going to watch this, the Nutcracker Suite, which is the second one, is really good. The Sorcerer's Apprentice is really good. The Rite of Spring is very good. I would skip the intermission. Um, the Centaur ones, I could take or leave. I could see how some people might like it. 
personally, I would I would watch it personally, but I can see why other people wouldn't. Yeah. Then the dance of hours that has all the animals you're talking about and it has the hippos. That one's yeah, good. That one's good. And the, then you can skip the last one. Oh, the last one's my one of my favorites. Oh. The, the devil. It's beautiful and That's dark and evil. During. Yeah, it's like Halloween in a in an animated film it's beautiful um i would say but that's different perspectives from both of us as we always have but um yeah if you break it up into the sections it's almost like they should almost break this up into each section like you could watch them like separately so you don't have to watch two hour little shorts yeah um i get what they were trying to do what do with it but it just is not for me it's not can we talk about this for a second um I, i find it funny that they were trying to do the sorcerer's apprentice as part of this because mickey mouse had lost popularity how I don't understand. Maybe we have to research that more. But, like, Mickey Mouse is just so iconic now. Like, I could never imagine him losing popularity. Um, I also would like to bring light to the fact, and I think we already alluded to it earlier, or even said it earlier, but this came out in the middle of World War II. Um, so I could imagine that this would have brought in a lot of joy to people and a nice distraction um, from what was going on around the world. I've been I've been listening to a lot of historical things about World War II recently, and um, it was just a really dark time, not just in America, obviously, but everywhere. And so I think it would be really cool. That this I think it is really cool that this came out around that time, and it gave people like a nice, pleasant distraction, something new and fresh and beautiful that they could watch and, and experience. You know. Yeah, I'm trying to see. about Mickey Mouse. Yeah, basically he wasn't even really popular. He wasn't even really popular until 1955. Really? Until the 1950s um, when he kind of made a resurgence um, in a daily children's television like show as a personality um, in Mickey Mouse Club. Or the Mickey Mouse Club is what it was called. But. That's very interesting. Like until that, because of like things like Steamboat Willie and other things. I mean, like Mickey Mouse never really, from what I'm reading, I could be wrong. Um, from what I, like he just never really gained like the traction or the popularity, you know? Yeah. He's huge now. I mean, like he obviously is the face of Disney. Um, that's cool, though. That's a good perspective or a good uh, good tidbit of information. Yeah. Um, I would say favorite song, but like, I mean, all the music because it's classical is kind of similar to me. I mean, I guess if we're if we're gonna go by favorite song, I really like um, I really like this section. Um, actually, the one where the the devil is like doing his thing. I like the music there the most. Um, I like the darkness of it. Is there a section that you like the music? Not not just the visual, but like the music more than another, or no? I thought the music, honestly, the Nutcracker Sweet music, I really enjoyed. It was beautiful. Yeah, I agree. And I really liked um, the piece from Beethoven with all the Sinatars and stuff. I thought it was really cool. I agree with you. That, that's a good perspective. The, some of these pieces, the, yeah, the music was really good with those. Which is interesting because like some of these pieces, like just being in music classes and music theory classes, like growing up in school like I've heard some of these before yeah. but um, especially like the more famous ones like Bach and the Nutcracker and Beethoven and that kind of stuff like I've heard these before but I've just never seen it in this way and right so that was kind of cool right but 
I like that perspective, Courtney. That's really good. I think that it's also something that we need to take into um, consideration, maybe discuss for a couple minutes here, that back in the 40s, classical music would have been way more popular than it is now. Yeah. Like symphonic music, because there wasn't rock and roll. There was barely jazz back then. Like there was jazz and maybe blues, and there there was early versions of like swing bands, like, you know, like the uh, Sinatra style, like big band. Yeah. But like there wasn't like the type of music that we think of today. And so classical music was something that people still listened to a lot. And so people setting animation to classical music would have been really, really cool. Also, this was Disney's third animated feature film. So I, I don't know if you could see who it came before it, but I know Snow White came before it and there's one other movie that came before this but this was would have been revolutionary for disney this was like something that people had never seen before yeah i mean this was only like we said i think disney's third animated feature film yeah um which which the first one was snow white and then pinocchio you're right which both came out like fantasia came out in november of 1940 pinocchio came out in february of 1940 and then Snow White came out in 1937, so it's like barely the third one. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like that's great perspective. Did you um? So uh, when we had Wes and Michelle on, Wes talked about having like synesthesia, where like you see colors when you listen to music. I kind of feel like that. That was this was kind of like maybe Walt Disney's uh, like way of showing that. Yeah, like because remember they even they, when they opened it up, they talked about like you know we we tried to put music and in, in, into images in our head that we thought we saw when we heard these mu- these songs. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Yeah. I thought it was cool, too. Yeah. I think that going back, like, looking at it, I think that they weren't taking into perspective that everybody sees something different when they listen to music. But, like, I thought it was cool that they put what they thought it was on a screen. Like, that was really cool. Yeah. And the colors were very vibrant. Yeah. It was almost, and you could tell that it was, like, anytime there was something, like, light and airy happening in the music, something good was happening. Mm -hmm. And there was bright colors, and it was light. But almost as soon as, like, you get into those bassier notes something almost more sinister was happening and the colors would change to like something darker and um more like warm toned rather than like a cool bright airy tone yeah you know that was really cool i agree with you that was cool like you could like you could feel the story happening because that what they were showing you was matching the music so clearly yeah yeah i like that a lot um all right which is interesting because it's like just because it's almost very like almost like simple minded like if you think about it from back then because it's like not everything that sounds lighter and more airy that doesn't necessarily mean that something good is happening or just because something maybe sounds a little bit more heavy or a little bit darker doesn't mean that it's necessarily bad you know what i mean like how many songs do we hear today that are on like the higher side of the scale but are actually dark in meaning you know what i mean yeah and how many times the opposite way where it's like i don't know things are really like bass heavy and like they sound really dark and um, almost sinister, but they have like really good intentions and really good. Almost like a fun feeling, like yeah. fun and like maybe they're like the music is heavy, but the message is light and airy. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't necessarily equal one of the same. Yeah, I love that perspective. And immediately I thought of a song, as I'm sure you did too. Um, not the same song, but like I think of Supermarket Flowers by Ed Sheeran. 
It's so light. It sounds so positive, but the message is so sad. Yeah. And you, it just—it's crazy how he wrote that song with like this really light piano, and it's like an orchestra with him, and it's like, like hardly any minor. It's like all major, and then it's like so dark though, like the the, the message. The message isn't dark. I'm sorry, but it's sad. It's very, yeah. very sad. It's still it's dark in the sense is that it's like heavy and takes you to the darker side of your emotions. Yeah, and then you hear songs like "Reckless Love" by Corey Asbury, who's like it starts on the six, which is a minor note, and the whole song actually, if you really listen to just the music of the song, it's very dark, but the message is super hopeful, like yeah. super super hopeful. I think I think that's a good perspective, Courtney. I like that. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna say it. It reminded you when you were saying that. It reminded me of a funny thing I saw. So like Slipknot is this band. It's like very heavy, and they're like known for being really dark. And their lead singer's name is um, I always forget his name. Hold on. His um, anyways, he's leading like he's doing this like acoustic concert somewhere, and um, the crowd is basically they're like all these metalheads that love metal, and they're like they're like asking and begging for him. Corey Taylor. They're asking him to sing the SpongeBob theme song, and he just does it. Like, so it's hilarious. like, it's, yeah, it's so hilarious. Like, it's like you think of like just because something's dark and heavy, like sounds dark doesn't mean, or I guess sounds heavy. Just because someone writes heavy music doesn't mean that they're like not a fun person, or doesn't mean that the message isn't fun. Like, even in his metal, like almost like screamo version of Spongebob. It still feels heavy, but it's still fun at the same time. Yeah. Things can like coexist together. Yeah, exactly. And I thought that was so fun. And one of the comments that somebody made on that post was like, people like look down on like, you know, the heavy metal community, but you have this group of fans that are like literally screaming the, the Spongebob thing song at the top of their lungs. And it's just so nostalgic and it's fun. It's like, you know, you can't, you just because someone likes a certain kind of music or, or um, writes music from a certain place in their heart because that's how it makes them feel. It doesn't mean that they have, like, a, a wickedness to them. It's like, you know, movies, yeah. you know, same thing. Like, just because you like certain movies doesn't mean that it, it, it makes, you know, that who you are. Um, so, anyways, I thought that was funny. I wanted to add that. Okay. Is this movie under or overrated? Well, I mean, it was rated well enough to have, like, a... Like a revision situation or a sequel, I guess, really. Yeah, Fantasia 2000, which we will have to address at some point. It wasn't even released in 2000, it was released in 1999. 1999. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's annoying. Annoying. Yeah. But I'd say it's adequately rated. That's where I'm going to say. That's where I'm going to leave it. People love it. It was iconic. It set the tone for a lot of things. I don't doubt that it's, or negate that it's iconic, but I think it's boring it's not for me yeah i could see that i need i need people to talk i need like an actual like one story or even if there's like seven stories happening at once that's fine but i just need someone to talk me through it well they've done this in other movies there's this movie called the ballad of buster scruggs on netflix and it's like six short stories but they're all like actual stories like when the story ends you're just there's a there's a beginning a middle and an end they're all eight minute plots or 15 minute plots but they're like still like a plot like this is just animals and dinosaurs dancing around yeah Still think it was creative. I'm not saying it's not creative or it's not iconic or it's not good, but like, what is the point? Yeah, like I, I really enjoyed Fantasia when I was growing up, and I still enjoyed it when we watched it. But I still had a hard time like watching the. I could, we didn't watch the whole thing all the way through. We couldn't do it. No, 
oh, I got too tired. Yeah, you fell asleep times. both times. I know. Um, so yeah, I think it's adequately rated. I think it, it's a. I think it holds a great place in history, and I think it's it was iconic and, and revolutionary. It's just if you're gonna watch it, you just drink a cup of coffee. Or twelve. <laughs> Maybe not twelve. Um, favorite. Not favorite. Um, you, oh, we made something really cool for dinner. Um, why don't you Why don't you say we ate? We're doing it. You made it. I made it. You did make it. We. I had, helped. I had to cut the vegetables because you refused. I didn't refuse. I just asked for help. Okay, then we made it. Okay. She's so whatever. I cook dinner on like whatever night, and she eats the dinner. She's like, "Well, I helped. I ate it." <laughs> don't say that. I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> Um, I made lemon chicken orzo soup, and it was really good. 12 out of 10. So good. I'm actually going to eat, like, three bowls as soon as we get done recording. Probably should have taken it out of the fridge. It's fine. Okay. I'm going to microwave it. It's fine. That was really good. So we had, like, a really nice, um, like, hearty. charcuterie, and then we yeah. had the soup, and it was really good. Yeah. And then wine. We've been on a wine kick recently. Yeah. I went to Aldi's and got some. They have a sweet Halloween red wine, and it was really good. Yeah, it's got, like, a little bit of spice to it. When I say spice, I don't mean, like, pepper. I mean, like, like cinnamony almost. Not cinnamony. Like, like spike, like a spice, though. Like, it's got, like, a sweet spiciness to it. It's really, really good. Very full flavor. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Well, um, you have any other thoughts about Fantasia? No. You don't want to talk about it for another hour? No. Okay, cool. We should have invited John on this episode. He would have probably had great perspectives on uh, on Fantasia. John, we love you. Okay. Well, without further ado, Courtney, why don't you talk our um, our wonderful, lovely guests through what we have going on the rest on. of the month. I'm not ready for that. She's not ready for that? Okay. I'm going to juggle. You guys won't be able to see me doing it, but I'm going to juggle. TJ. I'm doing it. I'm kidding. I'm not juggling. No, we have some great movies um, coming up. We're super excited. Um, Next week is Halloween Town, and then we have Twitches, and then Haunted Mansion. Haunted Mansion, the new one. We did the old one last year. So make sure you tune in, and um, we're super excited. We love all the Halloween things. Um, we actually did something fun tonight. We tried to go to a pumpkin patch, but that failed. But um, Yeah, we drove around and looked at Halloween decorations in a neighborhood nearby, and it was really fun. Yeah. We love all the Halloween stuff. All right. Well, without further ado, we're going to end this podcast episode. Um, if you haven't seen Fantasia, go see it at least once. You probably won't want to watch it more than that, but go see it at least once because it's yes. historical Agreed. and it's amazing and it's awesome. Um, I hope you have a happy Magical Monday or happy Magical whatever day of the week it is that you're listening to this. And we can't see you. Wait to see you next week for... What did I just say? Halloween Town. Halloween Town. Bye, Halloween friends. Halloween Town. Bye. Bye.